Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you today. We have a Super Bowl matchup set. The Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Great game. Two great conference championship games. We're going to break it all down with John Dostremski, the host of JJ After Dark, Odds on Sports on WFAN. We're going to talk about the controversies of the two games. I'm Matt LaFleur. Sean McDermott are way too conservative in these matchups. We're going to break that down, get some betting thoughts on the big game as well with JJ. Speaking of Super Bowl betting, Show Me the Money is back. We're going to do a special Super Bowl betting deep dive here. We're going to by Kevin Walsh from Sports Grid. We are going to break down all the bets here, all the angles, the spread, the money line, the over-under, the props, everything you want. We're going to do with Kevin Walsh in just a bit. We're also going to go dive into the world of Pop Colors Week. We're getting some buzz on the social media streets about WandaVision, the new Marvel series. I'm going to be joined by Sam DeRosa, our pop culture correspondent. We're going to talk about the first three episodes, what we learned, what's interesting. We'll tie in some theories here, figure out what's going on with this show. But we'll get all started with this week's opening tip with the Jets and what they need to do to go get to Sean Watson right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip time. Talking about the Deshaun Watson situation. And the NFL offseason, there's going to be a big quarterback carousel this year. We heard over the weekend Matthew Stafford is going to get traded by the Lions. They're going to move on here. There are rumors now flowing about Aaron Rodgers possibly being on the block. Phillip Rivers retired. Drew Brees is probably retiring. But all of the eyes here are on Deshaun Watson. The Texan star could be right now. He's met that organization. We heard a little bit about it from Matt Verderam last week about how Pastor Jack Easterby somehow become the head of football operations. How they didn't listen to his ideas to even interview Robert Sala. Right now, there are rumors that he's going to try and request a trade. Because he's that fed up with the Texans. And that would send half of the league running to Houston trying to get a trade. But there was an interesting report this weekend for the Miami Herald's Armando Salguero. Over the weekend, stayed. his preferred landing spot is not the Miami Dolphins, despite what we've been led to believe. It is the New York Football Jets. Say what? The New York Football Jets. Say what? The Jets. And this does fit all the subtweeting he's been doing about the Jet-related things. The video about how he was buying a car in Philly and the A's had painted Jet green. And how this report leaked out last week. How he wanted to text and interview Robert Sala right after the Jets hired Sala. The report doesn't rule the Dolphins out. It says they're his second choice. But obviously the big question here is if the Texans will actually be stupid enough to move him. And not fix this relationship. Texans beat reporter John McClain. He's covered Houston football for about 45 years back to the Oilers days. He said last week, there was no universe 
when she texted with Trey and Sean Watson, which I was like, okay, that makes sense. He knows he's connected to the team. He knows his things. He has the information. They're not trading. This got interesting on Sunday because right before the conference championship games, John McClain tweeted out this. If the Texans end up trading Watson, it should be the Jets for their first and second round picks this year and next, and Quentin Williams, at the least. Use the Jets' second overall pick on the second best QB to replace Watson. The timing on that is very interesting because McLean was swearing up and down that he's never going to be traded. It's a waste of time. Now he's putting out a trade proposal saying, if we're trading to Sean Watson, here is what it should be for. And of course, the steep price. It basically asks you for four ones, two twos, and Quentin Williams. And of course, you ask the moon. And that's so specific. It almost kind of feels like that he got a source that said, hey, this is what we would ask for for training Sean Watson. And this is why we would do it. If you're the Jets, you have to make this trade as presented to you. If you have the opportunity. Obviously, you don't have to take the first offer. You can say, okay, you know, let's try to get Quinn out of the deal. Maybe we'll give you a pick in 23 instead of two and 21. Stuff like that. But you don't want to give six picks picks plus your best defensive player because obviously no matter how good Sean Watson is you're going to be putting yourself a lot of holes because you have to fill all those things and there's so many holes this team has here's what I would offer right now obviously number two this year which has tremendous value because number two is a valuable pick you're going to be number three which Miami has the 2022 number one pick one of those whichever one is higher than the Jet pick and Seattle's pick that goes to the Texans the Jets' 2023 first-round pick. Their second-round pick this season. Remember, the Texans don't have a first or a second-round pick this year because of all the stupid trades Bill O'Brien made. Or Sam Darnold. They can have one or the other. I'm not giving them both. I mean, if I had to, I'd give them both. I'm going to try and offer one of these. And a fourth-round pick this year. You should have two because that Leonard Williams trade condition is if he re-signs the Giants, the fifth-round pick they're getting comes a four. I definitely know the audience out there, some people are going... That's way too much for a quarterback. You can't do this. When do you ever see a 25-year-old superstar quarterback at his prime be available? He may not be available. The Texans are probably not that dumb. Keyword is probably. If one becomes available, if Deshaun Watson is on the trade market, there is no price that's too big for a franchise that's been looking for a quarterback for 50 years. Joe Namath retired in the 70s. They have not had a franchise quarterback since. They've drafted several. It has not worked. They tried trading for quarterbacks. It has not worked. They have tried signing quarterbacks at free agency. That has not worked either. If you can lock in to Sean Watson at 25, you give yourself a nice 10 to 15-year window of Super Bowl contention with him as your quarterback, assuming you build the team correctly. Watson here, if he's being traded, and again, this is the big if because we don't know the Texans are actually going to do this or not. He holds the hammer because he has no trade clause. If he wants to force his way to the Jets and the Texans are willing to trade him, he's going to have the Texans over a barrel so he can veto the other trades. The other threat here, obviously, the Dolphins because they have the cash space. They have South Beach. We don't pay taxes. They have Tua Tagovailoa, who probably has more value than any asset in the Jets offer here because he's a young quarterback who's just taking the first round. And remember, before he got hurt with the hip injury Alabama, I was talking about how Tua was going to be the star of the NFL. If the Dolphins want to put two in the deal, he's going to Miami. Because he'll take the deal, 
Texas will have their quarterback, that the third pick back, and they'll be able to build around Tua. If that's not the case, and Miami says, you know, we're not going to get in this, we like Tua, we want to stick with him. The Jet offer of the second pick is very valuable because if you love a quarterback in this class, like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, going to two means you guarantee to get the pick of the guy you want. It's much more enticing than the third pick because you're guaranteed to choose between the non-Trevor Lawrence quarterbacks. If you are a three, you risk being stuck with the leftover. You risk being stuck with a guy who may not be your top choice here of the other guys. Because the Jets would still be a two. The Jets could take a quarterback. They could take Justin Fields. They could take Zach Wilson. Or they could trade the pick to a team like Detroit, who's trying to get up for their future quarterback. They could go back to seven, get Detroit's number one pick in two years from now. They could take Zach Wilson. You could be left of Fields. You may not want as well. If the Texans are moving him, and again, this is the big if here. The Texans really have no reason to move him. They can say, you know what? Fine. Don't play for us. Forfeit your money. See how long that lasts. Because that's a lot of money to leave on the table. It's not completely unprecedented. Carson Palmer left money on the table with the Bengals all those years ago. But you're asking a 25-year-old basically sit out for five years? It's not going to happen. If the Texans want to play hardball, they can make it happen. And I think more likely not he's a Texan. I'd say it's at least 60% he's still on the Texans coming this year. But the fact that there's still a chance out there that he might get moved, Joe Douglas is on that phone yesterday to the Houston, to Nick Casario, and figure out how to get this done. You are in a new position with the Jets. Thanks to that trade for Jamal Adams. You have extra picks where trading away three first rounders will not bankrupt your franchise ability to build like it has in the past. Take advantage of it. Be aggressive. Try to go get him if he's available. That's enough on the Watson front for now. Keep an eye on that as the offseason progresses. Up next, we will go to our NFL Conference Championship recap with JJ right after this call from the NFC Championship game, courtesy of Fox Sports' Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Brady goes for the deep shot. He's got a touchdown. Scotty Miller. Oh, my gosh. Scotty Miller got behind the defense and for 39 yards gets the touchdown and what a half oh. by Tom Brady. Is that Kevin King that was in coverage? I couldn't tell exactly who it was, but you, know, you just cannot, you cannot allow Scotty Miller with eight seconds on the clock, you cannot give up the big play. I mean, just cannot allow anybody behind you. Brady was just going to take a shot. I mean, he was going to one-on-one, was going to take a shot, and that is hard to believe. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, talking about the NFC AFC Championship games, getting ready for the Super Bowl. Join me today. He's a host on WFAN. He hosts Odds on Sports. He appears on SNY. You best know him for JJ After Dark. The great John Descremsey is here. JJ, how are you? Doing great, thank you. Very, very good after what was a terrific championship Sunday. So thank you for having me on. Let's have some fun over the next couple minutes. All's good. What's happening, dude? Not a whole lot. I got to say, I love my football. This was a very fun day of games. I think the early game was definitely the far better one, though, for reasons we'll get into, especially Buffalo's mind-blowing strategy of kick-selling for field goals against Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, listen, these coaches, and they drive me crazy. I mean, listen, stand an element of risk involved in going for it on fourth down. But 
when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes and you're already down 12 points in a game, I mean, Mike, what am I missing here? What could a field goal is going to do you there? It was, uh, I mean, listen, they would have lost anyway, let's be honest. Mahomes and the Chiefs were that dialed in. But, like, I mean, that's the definition of cowardly coaching right there. It's crazy. Yeah, it's really insane. I was, like, screaming my TV last night watching that happen a couple of times. Especially, I think this also started early at the Packer game because, I mean, we're watching Green Bay early in the day. We had the situation at the end of the game where Matt LaFleur with the, faced the fourth and goal from the nine. They're kicking instead of, instead of uh, you know, taking the fourth and goal shot there. I just couldn't understand it. What did you think when you saw it? Um, well, listen, the coaching decisions, first with LaFleur, then with McDermott, were just beyond baffling. And listen, the LaFleur decision to me is an all-timer. I mean, you got Aaron Rodgers. You got one of the best quarterbacks of his generation. Fourth and goal, you need a touchdown and a two-point conversion. There's just no justification for a field goal there. And the one thing I was wondering, Mike, I don't know if you got this same sense. If you're Aaron Rodgers there, and I tell you, we're kicking a field goal, how do you not start screaming at your coach? I mean, just, just thinking about this situation, I would have been like, coach, what the blank are we doing? <laughs> we need a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Get my ass back on the field. I mean, like, that I, I, and, and I'm not looking to, you know, suggest insubordination or anything like that. But it was just one of those obvious, let's wake up and realize how bad a decision this truly was. Yeah, I'm with you right there. I mean, I feel like if Bruce Arians is at the time, I think Tom Brady would left the field. I think he would have stood there and said, make, make me leave. Correct. Exactly. Tom Brady is yelling and screaming to the high heavens. That is, that is absolutely the case. 100%. Yeah, and the other thing that bothered me about the Rodgers situation besides not going for it, on the third and goal play, I don't know if you've seen the replay enough, but, like, why isn't he running for the, at least for the pylon there? Because he forced a throw into contested coverage there at the end of that, at the end of that play. But he had plenty of green grass in front of him. If he may not get in the end zone, at least getting to the two-yard line, then you're going for it for sure instead of kicking. Um, that is true. That is absolutely true. Now, I don't know if Rodgers definitely gets in there, but you're probably down to at least the two-yard line. And the decision should not have been any different from that before. But I think it kind of speaks to the general theme of this game. The first half, it looked like both quarterbacks were dialed in. I mean, Brady at 43 was making some unbelievable throws. Rodgers, even though his teammates weren't holding up their end of the bargain, he was doing his part. As good as they were in the first half, Mike, I didn't think either quarterback was particularly good in the second half. I mean, Rodgers was skittish. And then you look at Brady. I mean, Brady threw three interceptions and was just not awful. So it, it's weird how that game went from being, like, really, really well played to kind of, like, choppy, chaotic, and just poorly played at the snap of a finger. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about Tom Brady. That's something that was driving me crazy. Because the first half, I know he played very well. He, he drops the dime to Scotty Miller at the end of the first half of the touchdown. But second half, his throws were high. They were over the place. Fox had given him a pass on the broadcast saying, oh, you know, it's Mike Evans' fault for dropping the ball. Or this happened, this happened. But, like. Let's be fair, though, Mike. They were, they did have a few drops, though. He did. You know, but, they, like, the interception, like, the one. I, I know exactly the play you're alluding to. The one when he sailed Mike Evans, I couldn't agree with you more. Mike Evans is six five. And even if the ball hits his hands, when he's going off basically to go eight and a half feet, nine feet in the air, there's a problem there. Yeah, I mean, listen, I can't fight you on that. Brady did not play well in the second half. No, and I think it's something I, I think you have to be concerned about going to the Super Bowl because you're going to have to make some of those deep boundary throws to keep, keep up the points of the Chiefs. That's something that if you watch the second half, you're not confident in that he can do it. Here's the one caveat to that. 
you're playing this game in 17 degrees, frigid temperatures at Lambeau. Um, now, two weeks, against the team you played already, beautiful sample weather conditions. So I, I think Brady's going to be fine in this game. I really do. I think the question for the Kansas City Chiefs is, or excuse me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, maybe I gave you a little bit of a Freudian slip there. How are they slowing down the Chiefs? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think Tampa will get points in this game. I'm not going to overreact to Kansas City's defense against Buffalo because, to me, that was a major situation of Buffalo in many ways being happy to be there. And I thought that was pretty obvious in watching the ball game. But Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, dude, they're unstoppable. So trying to draw up a game plan to slow those guys down is not going to be easy to do. Yeah, they won't. And Buffalo, I, watching that game last night, like the thing, like you said, drove you crazy, drove everybody crazy here, was just Sean McDermott was content to take those threes at the half when it was making up from 12 to 9. And then you didn't, he doesn't worry. He does it again in the second half, 12 to 9. Like, this is something that I feel like the analysts people have been screaming about. Like, you cannot beat this team with threes. And I feel like it's just something that McDermott's going to have to learn very quickly. No question. No question. And listen, you're playing Mahomes. I'm not saying that on 4th and 14, you go for it. You have to be practical in these situations. You have to understand that with their quick strike ability, with their big play capability, they could get down the field in four, five, or six plays and score a touchdown. So you could have a great drive. You know, you could keep them off the field for 10 minutes. You know, you, you can, you know, convert a bunch of third downs. You come away with three points. Probably not going to be good enough. So when you have those situations, you got fourth to go from the three, you go for it. You got fourth and two from your opponent's 30, you go for it. Those are the sort of situations, Mike, you have to coach, you have to play to win. Because in so many ways, you almost have to play a perfect game to go and beat the best player in football currently. Yeah, I agree with you. And the thing that boggled my mind was also that the inconsistency from McDermott because the first drive of the game, they had a fourth and one. They went for it. They got points in the drive. And then twice, fourth and two at the end of the half. Then fourth and three, I think fourth and one inside the 10-yard line. They're kicking field goals. And then, as you said, next play, Tyreek Hill, 60 yards down the field. She's have a touchdown. The game's basically over at that point. Um, you know, I hated when they went for it at the end of the first half or when they kicked it at the end of the first half. But I do want to make this clear, Mike, and I don't know if you felt this way too. If Buffalo was getting the ball in the second half, I think I would have felt differently about the decision. You know what I mean? Because they were down 12. They kick a field goal, go down nine, and they're getting the ball. You could almost double up there. And I'm like, all right, you know what? You're going to get another possession. You know, you could be within one score by the time, or within two points by the time Mahomes gets the ball. Great. Knowing Kansas City was getting the ball, I mean, basically Kansas City, even though they didn't score a touchdown, they went right down the field and kicked the field goal, and it's like you were right back where you started from. So, yeah, got to coach, got to play to win. And I think that's one of the great lessons from this weekend. You have to have that sense of aggressiveness. It's just the way the NFL is at this point. And if you're not going to have that sort of mentality, you're not going to and you're not going to win a Super Bowl. Now, let me ask you this. I do have a great point about the whole thing about oh, if they had the ball at the half, it's a different deal. Let's say they do what they do last night. They kick anyway. They're still kicking the ball off. 
How would you feel if they did the Sean Payton and tried the surprise onside kick at the start of the second half? At least you're trying something that way. Yeah, here's the problem with that, though. It's just so tough to execute. I mean, it takes a ton of stone, you know? Yep. But the one caveat to that, Mike, if that does not work, and you're giving the ball to Mahomes at, like, the 40-yard line, it's like, wow, what in God's name <laughs> did we just do? You know, like, yeah. that's just, like, it's, it's a ballsy call. If it works, listen, it will forever be a genius for that onside kick in the Super Bowl against Indianapolis. It changed the entire feel of that game. Um, work, you're an idiot. So those are those are very, very risky calls in that sort of spot. So I, listen, I can't kill a coach for that, you know. I'll yeah. kill him for kicking field goals, but I can't kill him for that. Yeah, it's certainly fair. I also think one thing I learned yesterday, and this is something I saw during all the pregame stuff, people were somehow saying that Josh Allen was a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. I think people forgot how good the Chiefs Wait, are. That stuff that, See, this is I'm, – I'm glad that I wasn't watching any of the pregames that like, you know, I, I would have been like – I would have been beside myself if I heard some of those comments. And, you know, this is not in any way to disparage against Allen. Because to me, he's made an incredible leap. First two years in the league and where he was this year. I mean, he was played like, looked like, you know, a top five, top seven quarterback in football. That all being said, it's so – by far and away better than anybody else who's playing the position. It's not even worth discussing. I mean, nobody, correct me if I'm who comes close? What, what, you want to tell me Wilson? Maybe. Watson's really good. Nobody is to the level of Patrick Mahomes. Nobody. In the league right now, and I know Rodgers is the MVP, Mahomes is the best player in the sport, period. Yeah, I think it's also part of this narrative. I feel like in, sometimes in the media does this too, where we sort of get bored of the same, saying, oh, the Chiefs are so good instead of finding ways to call them. Like, oh, who's better? And I feel like that sort of happened. People forgot how good the Chiefs were. They had that epic run of like playing all these close games and say, oh, they can be beaten. Then yesterday they show you it's not going to be so fast, my friend. Yeah, and listen, you know what helps him? Hill, he's unguardable. Travis Kelsey is unguardable. I think a lot of people sleep on that too with the Chiefs. For as good as Patrick Mahomes is, for as talented as he is, you probably have the fastest wide receiver and you have the best tight end that he's throwing the ball to. It's just, it's pick your poison. You know, you're a defensive coordinator. What, who are you trying to take away? Uh, are you daring them to beat you over the top with Hill? They can do that. Are you going to let them nickel and dime you all day with Kelsey? They also can do that. It's, it's, very, very tough, man. Tell you this, I'm glad I'm not a defensive coordinator scheming them up. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm not a defensive coordinator of the Super Bowl because both these teams have incredible weapons. What do you think about this matchup? Like, how we have our first glimpse of Pat, of uh, Chiefs Buccaneers. Uh, now, higher planet bet the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. Don't you? Yeah, I feel that way. Yeah, and because of that, I have the initial inkling of thinking that Tampa's got a legit shot in this game. And I'm going to tell you an injury that's a big deal for the Kansas City Chiefs. Eric Fisher blowing out his Achilles, this starting tackle, that is gigantic. I mean, let's not let's not lose sleep over that. When you're going up against Shaq Barrett, when you're going up against Jason Pierre-Paul, Tampa has the weapons on defense disrupt Mahomes. I don't know if anybody has the weapons to slow down Mahomes, but to get a big turnover or two. You got to get a big sack. You, you got to make a big play. 
Kansas defense is capable. Like, anybody who's looking at this game saying it's going to be a runaway, it's going to be a shoo-in for the Chiefs, I would say not so fast. That's my, like, my initial thought on the game is that I think people are going to crown Kansas City, and I know how tough they are to stop. But this is not going to be some 45-14 Super Bowl. I don't buy that for a minute. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And obviously, you're the you're a big odds guy. The lines are out already. The Chiefs are fa- were open, favored by three, a very high overall total. What's some action you're thinking about already for this game? Well, I can tell you about a, a bet I have. So I, what was it? I want to say like week 14, week 15. I took Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl at 14-1. to so I got really, really good odds on the Buccaneers to go win the Super Bowl. So I'm probably just going to let that bet, you know, ride. I'll probably hedge it a little bit, and we'll go from there. But I think, you know, you can look at maybe a tease of getting the over down and then taking Tampa up. So if I could get Tampa to like 9.5 or 10, and get the over down about five or six points, I think there's a lot of value in that sort of team. I do not think this is going to be a blowout. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think there's good value there. I also want to keep an eye on those props, too, because I like always look at who scores the touchdowns. I like those A lot of opportun- value opportunities there. There's so many weapons in both those offenses. Um, Yeah. Now, listen, the one thing with the prop market for the Super Bowl, they're going to hone in Kelsey. They're going to hone in on Godwin. They're going to hone in on the big players. So the key with the prop market is getting a number that you like immediately. Like I, the minute those prop numbers come out, hit them early because they are going to get juiced up. You could lose out on some value. Like you could, they could have the Kelsey yards at like 78, let's say. That could bet up to like 90. That could be the difference in winning and losing the bet. So to me, if you got props you like, get them early in the week. That's my advice. Yeah, I agree with you there. I want to touch on some other one other NFL item real quick because obviously Deshaun Watson thing. I know that he's trade rumors are out there. I know you're a big Dolphin guy. I'm a Jet fan, and it sounds like those are the two teams that would be the front runners for Deshaun Watson. How do you think this thing plays out? You know, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I know there's a lot of smoke right now. I know a lot of people are saying the relationship between the Texans and Deshaun Watson is beyond repair. Remember, in the NFL, that can change quickly. In sports, that can change quickly. He's under contract. This is not a situation where, you know, he's got a new contract coming his way. He is making a boatload of money. If I were to Houston Texans, he wants Biennemi as the head coach. Go hire Biennemi as soon as the Super Bowl ends. That's his guy. Get him in a room. Down. Air out the grievances. And if not, you know what I do, Mike? Call the Sean Watson's bluff. He says he's not playing for the Texans. I'd say, sure. You're not playing for the Texans? Don't show up then. Forfeit your salary. I think a lot of people are jumping the gun and assuming that it's a given, that it's a lock, that he's going to be traded. Now, maybe the Texans say, you know what? Where we're at, this is the best thing for our franchise, which would be a mistake, might I add. But I would play hardball. And I haven't heard that talked about nearly enough. But if I am the Houston Texans, I am drawing the line in the sand with Deshaun Watson because, again, it's not like he has, you know, this looming contract that's hovering over the team. It's feelings of unhappiness. Work it out. That's what I would do. But get traded with the Jets. That's just a, a hunch, a gut feel I have. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting point there because, like, 
people do sort of say, oh, he's a force his way out. Oh, we're going to do this, going to do that. But you know what? You're right. He is under contract. The Texans can say, you know what? Fine. Like, don't collect your salary. Like, if we can go after your sign, most you choose not to show up. So that's a lot of money for him to leave on the table, try and force his hand. Force that's what I mean, in. Mike. Yeah. Listen, easier said than done. You know, like right now, it's very easy to say, oh, I don't want that money. I, you know, I'm unhappy. Blah, blah, blah. Let's fast forward to May. Let's fast forward to July. That, that, that narrative and that tune can change awfully, awfully quick. Yeah, I feel like he would have to actively like show up and like make life miserable for the tech to even consider doing it. Let alone, I don't think they're gonna just, I think they'd be content to let him sit out and just sort of like depreciate his value a little bit. Yeah, I mean that would be wild if indeed that happens. But you know, we're along you'll know. Listen, you'll know by late February, early March what the deal's gonna be. I, I, I don't think it would ever come to that. I think the Texans are gonna try to do everything in their power to keep this guy. They have to. He's just too good. Too good. Guys like that don't come around all too often. Yeah, I agree with you, but let's clear the hypothetical here. If they are dumb enough to make this trade, like, and you're the Jets and you're on the phone with them, is there anything you're not giving up to get a deal done? Whatever it takes. If that means three first-round picks, so be it. If that means adding a player, so be it. Whatever it takes, Mike. I'm right, I'm right there with you because they've been trying for about 50 years to find a franchise quarterback, and 25-year-old superstars out there, they don't grow on trees, and... If it means getting up picks, if it means getting up Quentin Williams, I would do it to make sure I get that guy, give myself a chance to win a Super Bowl in the next decade. Whatever it takes. I can't stress that enough. I don't know if he's available. I'm still skeptical he's going to be available. You want to change the entire field of franchise? Deshaun Watson does exactly that. All right, there we have it. John Jastrzemski from WFAN talking about the Super Bowl and some Deshaun Watson stuff. JJ, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I have people find on social media and keep up with your shows on The Fan. Super easy. John underscore Jastrzemski. That's me on Twitter. JJBombs19 on Instagram. We got a bunch of cool stuff on there. And Monday to Friday evening. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of JJ After Dark. JJ, thanks again. I appreciate it. You got it, dude. Take care, man. Happy to help. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. Time for a Super Bowl betting special here on the podcast. We've already talked some bets earlier in the show with the great John Dostremski from WFAN. Now I'm going to be joined by Sports Grid's Kevin Walsh. Do some more betting talk. Kevin, how are you? I am good, Mike. How are you, my friend? Doing pretty good. I'm excited about this Super Bowl. Before we get there, though, I have to ask you about what's happening with your Eagles because obviously Doug Peterson's gone. Nick Sirianni's the coach. We have a quarterback yeah. controversy. What's going on down there, in your opinion? <laughs> Listen, I, I think I'd be getting paid a lot more money, Mike, if I knew the answer to that question. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on down there, my friend. Uh, it is. It feels messy. It feels messy, and I know a lot of people read into this Nick Sirianni higher, they go, oh, Frank Reich, this means Wentz is good. I don't know if this means Wentz is good. Uh, you know, maybe they think this is the guy for them, uh, East Coast guy, under the age of 40. I think he kind of fits the brand of the guys that have been getting hired around the National Football League. And I'm sure that that recommendation letter from Frank Reich didn't hurt his chances. But, man, I, I'd say for me, I would be moving forward with Jalen Hurts. I would be trying to find a trade partner for Carson Wentz. I know it, it's not easy with the cap situation, but that's going to be the case regardless. I'm trying to salvage a locker room that by the time that season came to an end, 
was a complete disaster. Yeah, I feel like they definitely threw their lot in with Wentz. I know that like there's a good portion of that locker wanted Deuce Staley to be the coach, and they passed him over, and he's gone now. So I don't think that's going to go over too well. No, I, I tend to agree. Uh, you can just tell, man, that every step here really just not great. And, and it, you know, one of the most popular names of the coaching cycle, Eric the Enemy. Uh, I think almost every single team when they make a hire, Eric the Enemy kind of gets now thrown into the mix. I mean, Mike, I, I think I've been, you know I've been talking to you for a while. Now. I wouldn't even be surprised if the first time you and I have talked about Eric the Enemy trying to get a job in the National Football League. But the Eagles, when you consider the success that they had with Doug Peterson, the similarities to Peterson, to Eric Bieniemy and their trajectory through the Kansas City Chiefs organization, for them to not maybe make a stronger push for Bieniemy, and this thing seems like it came down to Nick Sirianni and Josh McDaniels. Just a frustrating process, and, and now puts a lot of difficult expectations on, on Sirianni and the quarterback room. I tell you this, Sirianni is not the answer. There are still significantly more questions that will need to be answered for this franchise before this uh, next season will be getting underway. Yeah, the one thing that definitely called my eyebrow at the Sirianni thing was I read the report that apparently they called him for a Zoom interview when he's on vacation. He didn't have a suit on. So, like, they actually just dressed casually, making him feel comfortable. Like, that just feels, A, very weird, and B, just an indictment of, like, what this hiring process around the league has become. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, as if that's, I don't even know how stuff like that gets out. Like, what is that supposed to make fans feel good? That, oh, hey, everything was casual. Like, we all came <laughs> up in flip-flops and, and t-shirts to figure out who's going to fix an organization that, through the midway point of the season, was minus money to win the division, and then found a way to finish in last place? Or minus money to win that division, Mike, at the midway point, and came in last. I mean, almost impossible. Hey, it could be worse. Your guys could be being run by a pastor and have a potential uh, back <laughs> a quarterback become the new head coach. Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't have it the worst. I guess that I guess that's fair. But it is it is frustrating, man. I, I made the point on one show um, this past couple of weeks. Like when you get to talk about your team more more over than like more often than not, just be an enjoyable conversation. Right, it's at some point you get to kind of turn the page to some level of optimism, right? Like I'm sure at some point Jets fans are like, "All right, man, we're going to figure out this quarterback situation. Like something's going to something's going to go right here." I know the you know fears of 0 16 were looming large at one point here, man. I don't remember the last time I was really I enjoyed breaking down this Eagles team. Maybe week three, week four. Man, it's just been ugly right now, man. Yeah, it is. But one thing that's not ugly right now, we got a fantastic Super Bowl matchup between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. We have the the GOAT battle between Brady and Mahomes. What's your yeah. first takeaway when you saw this matchup? You're like, I'm sure you had some thoughts. Well, I, I think it's, it's almost kind of, so I'm a big NBA fan, and we somehow never really got this equivalent in the NBA. We all There was a lot of years where we thought that LeBron would meet Kobe in the NBA Finals. And LeBron and those first Cavs teams weren't good enough. And by the time LeBron found his way to Miami, Kobe and the Lakers weren't good enough. And they kind of passed each other, right? Because they were the two dominant forces in the NBA at that point. We had another glimpse with LeBron versus Durant, but it was Durant in his infancy. And then he never, he never made it back on his own merit. 
and people can disagree about the Warriors titles, but I mean, LeBron basically went one and three in a four game set with the Warriors and his one title managed to matter significantly more. But we get pretty much the unquestioned goat at the quarterback position in Tom Brady up against the unquestioned best player in the league. But Mahomes already has big time credentials. A season in which he threw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns was eliminated by Tom Brady, maybe only because he didn't get the football overtime. He lost the coin toss, lost the game. Next year, right, he comes back and that, he still wins MVP in that first season. Next year, comes back, wins the Super Bowl, wins Super Bowl MVP. This is year three of Mahomes. He gets to meet Brady in his first season outside of the New England Patriots organization. I mean, there are storylines aplenty. Yeah, absolutely. And let's get into some of the betting angles. This is, what, this is sort of the theme of this episode as we come here. We just sort of our Super Bowl betting here. And we're using, my referencing lines in the FanDuel Sportsbook as of recording here. They open with the Chiefs minus three. It's basically fluctuated to three and a half and three. It really hasn't moved much yeah. either direction. So what do you think about the line? So uh, I, I think all in all, you mentioned the fluctuation, right? Between that three and three and a half. And I, man, I was very surprised if we see any other number, unless there is a key injury that happens from now until the Super Bowl up here. I don't think you're, because it, it, it was, it opened at three and a half. That was the opening number. And those things were gone immediately. I mean, there were, uh, you know, a couple of uh, people that I work with over on the sports were like, oh yeah, but I already had to take some bucks plus three and a half. You knew that was going to be gone. And it was gone. But, Man, I don't see a world in which this gets down to Kansas City only laying two and a half. That'll be gone right away. I mean, you won't be able. It might. It might be a a myth. Like, oh, the Chiefs were two and a half at one point. When I didn't see it, never was able to grab it. So it feels like we're going to move from three and three and a half, and it makes sense because these two teams, and I'm sure you know, Mike, you you talked about it a lot. They've already met this year. The difference between the cover was the hook or a push. The Chiefs played three and a half in that meeting, and Tampa Bay was able to get the cover by a hook. Yeah, and it feels like this might be a separate prop bet here. Like, what, what's what? What are you more likely to get? A COVID vaccine point? You're eligible or the hook on the Chief game? <laughs> yeah, listen, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a good question, man. I, I tell you, those those hooks are so valuable when it comes to the point spread. You you can just tell though. You you can really really tell that they are. And with the Super Bowl, the biggest game in the in the world. You know it's going to be a valuable commodity if that three and a half does come back. I don't think it'll be back for long. Yeah, I don't either. I think the other interesting angle with the line with the factor in here is that Tampa Bay does have a home game for the first time in Super Bowl history. We have the home team sure. at at their home stadium. And do you think that this is going to get bet, baked into the into any of the numbers here? Because I feel like that definitely the the fact that their home is going to help them. But like, I don't haven't seen a noticeable impact yet in terms of like betting numbers. So it's so interesting. I think it's a great question, Mike. It's one that I can answer easily, but I don't know if I really know the full depth of the answer. I'll see if it makes sense as I kind of expand here. But this number of minus three is incredibly similar to when they met in the regular season in Tampa Bay. Again, just the difference being the hook, and the hook was initially there. So it just kind of got that in a different different manner. So to me, they're treating it the same way that first game in Tampa Bay. 
the depth of the question and one that I feel like I still maybe don't know the answer is just how much they valued home field advantage all year. This game was being played in Minnesota. What's the number? Heck, if this game was being played in Arrowhead, what's the number? I had a lot of conversations with people just trying to get a sense of how much does where this game is being played impact these lines. And nobody seems to be able to give me a straight answer. All I can reference is the regular season matchup between them in Tampa Bay and say this is a similar line. So they're treating it the same way as that regular season game. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it's also interesting you think about the fact that this game was not supposed to be in Tampa. It was supposed to be in Los Angeles, but then they had the weather delays at the stadium, and if the stadium had gotten together on time, like we would not have had fans in L.A. It would have been a true neutral site. So it's interesting that it ended up working out this way. Yeah, which would have been interesting. And I think the interesting thing is if you were going to be really moving the point spread based on a home field advantage, because travel is travel. But also, you just think about the people in the building. They've already talked about the health workers that are going to be there. I don't know if all of them are going to be true Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans. Plus, everybody else, I mean, it'll be, what, a 50-50 split? Like, I don't think the Bucs are going to walk into that building, or I should say maybe, I guess the Chiefs won't walk into that building feeling as if they are in the depths of enemy territory the way you typically would expect when you travel to a team's stadium. Yeah, that's true. And also, I look at the over and under for a bit because it opened 57 and a half. It's gone down a point to 56 and a half. It's kind of been stuck there for about a day as a recording time. So mm-hmm. what do you think about that? I feel like the player has to be the over. Well, look, this is the this is the tough trick here, right? So this is, again, similar number to when they first met. The Chiefs in that first game, they get up 17 nothing. They only scored 10 points after the first quarter because the game was pretty much over. And Tampa, you know, they only managed seven in the first half. So they were able to actually, you know, put forward a little bit more firepower in half number two, but it was almost this like, yeah, this game is over approach. I wonder if the Chiefs were able to get up to a similar degree. Now, 17 nothing is extreme, but let's just say it's, it is 17-7, right? Or, or maybe it's 24-14 Chiefs have the football. I mean, are, are these guys pedal to the metal here? Are the Chiefs, though, willing to settle for field goals, or are they telling themselves it needs to be touchdowns on the first drive, the second drive, the fifth drive, the eighth drive, the twelfth drive? You know what I mean? Like, that's really, I think, the difference maker in this total. If you think the Chiefs are willing to kick field goals and play defense, deeper into the game. Not immediately. They'll score touchdowns to start. But deeper into the game, you might just fall below, similar to that first meeting that only had uh, had 51 points put on the board. But I tend to agree. I I think the Chiefs will go. And I think the Bucs, the Bucs are no point will tap out, right? Like if they need to put up a garbage time touchdown to kind of salvage the reputation and let Brady see one more go in the basket, I think that's what they're going to try and do. So I tend to lean to the over as well. Yeah, plus you go Tampa is watching that game film from Buffalo where they kept selling for the field goals and the, the Chiefs ran out of the building. And you know they're going to say, hey, we have to be aggressive. We have to get up, go for as often as we can. So I think they're going to be going for sevens more than threes far far more often than not. Yeah, it would be nice if Sean McDermott could hop in a time machine and watch the tape as well and be like, wow, that was a horrendous decision by me. I just, and honestly, like, I, I mean, I, I was on the Chiefs in the game. I like the Chiefs in the game for a number of reasons, but 
I just feel bad for, you know, even Bills fans and Bills backers. Like, you couldn't have imagined that that team who had been aggressive all year long would go up against the Kansas City Chiefs and think, yeah, we'll make a two-possession game a two-possession game. And then he did it twice. He did it twice, Mike. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that. Certainly not the worst coaching decision of a championship weekend, oh, no. but wasn't good. No, it wasn't good. Another thing that's not good here, there's no value on the money line. They're so tight, these margins here. I mean, has, has it even worth your time to put the money on? So in the world in which the money line is value is, I think, if you just say to yourself, you know what, I, I, I'm not dealing with a missed extra point. That's what we've seen all year long, right? I mean, how about how about Tyler Bass checking in, right? The reason why the Chiefs at no at no point were down double digits is simply just because Tyler Bass, who made two fifty-one yard field goals in that game against the Kansas City Chiefs, missed an extra point. So the world in which you play money line on Kansas City, and I know minus one seventy six might feel a little high, but to get off of a field goal, you're no longer dealing with a push, you're just asking your team to win. And if minus 176 feels high, just make one less bet. Make one less bet. If we, if we view every bet as, say, a minus 110, which, by the way, the Chiefs minus three is not minus 110, but if we view every bet as minus 110, just make one less bet. You can now pay minus 176 for Chiefs money line. Yeah, it's a good strategy. Not think of that. That's a good angle of doing it. And we'll have some fun. Obviously, Super Bowl is fun with the props. And the prop bets yeah. make it fun. There's two categories. There's the game-related one, about stuff that's happening in the game, and the stuff that's outside the game, which is all your Gatorade colors, the coin flip, Joe Biden, all that fun stuff. So we're gonna, yeah. we'll are gonna have some fun here. We'll give you guys some prop bets to do here. So Kevin and I are going to do a three-round prop bet draft and because I want an excuse to play the NFL picks music because there's no picks this week. So I'm going to mm-hmm. get that up here and... Kevin, since you are the guest here, which prop bet do you want to pick first? Wow, what a distinct honor. I I would be hard-pressed not to take a look at Patrick Mahomes over two-and-a-half passing touchdowns. He threw for three passing touchdowns in that game where they met in Tampa Bay. Mahomes has that ability to just pour it on. He threw for three against Buffalo. Feels like he could have thrown for a 1,000 against Cleveland had he not been injured in the game. I think over two and a half for Mahomes is a nice first pick. Yeah, it's a good pick to start off with. I'm going to go to Tampa Bay here for a minute. I'm going to take Rob Gronkowski as an anytime touchdown scorer at plus 220 on FanDuel right now. Because this, like mm. this is a game where, you know, they're going to try and take away the outside weapons that you're Mike Evans, your Antonio Browns, and the Chiefs giving up 10 touchdowns on the year, the tight ends, including seven after their bye. So I can see a Gronk spike in the middle of the game, you know, get in the end zone once, a three-yard touchdown run. I like that play call. Plus, again, familiarity with Brady in a big spot. It'd be, be a nice security blanket there. I like the plus 220 on Gronk getting a touchdown. Yeah, I like the plus money. Cameron Brate has been involved more than I would have thought, but I understand the plus money played there. Uh, for a second pick, though, Mike, I, I want to make sure I get both teams, and then I'll hit some plus money on my third-round pick. I'll bring Chris Godwin's over 73.5 receiving yards into the fold. Again, this is a number that he cleared in that initial meeting with 97 points. He's cleared it in two of these three postseason games. Four of his last five games has gone over this number. He's clearly Brady's 
favorite weapon on this team. He's like the first receiver I've ever seen Brady forgive for dropping passes. It's incredible. He loved Godwin. I think over 73 and a half is very live. Yeah, I like that one too. I'm going to go for a big shot here. And I know this is the odds this hitting are not great, but there's the argument made here. Uh, give me the MVP prop on Tyreek Hill at plus 1,400 on FanDuel because remember what happened in week 12. He had a monster game down there. He had 13 catches, 269 yards, three touchdowns. I figure they'll make a better effort to contain him, but his speed makes him so dynamic. He gives you like a 10, 150, two-score effort here. He can sneak in that MVP category and he give you a lot of money if he comes through. I think it's a great selection. It's a great selection. It's one that I was advising people to make uh, actually on the early line. But a little bit of draft strategy for me, I was willing to take two guys in this market. And you took probably the preferred option, but there's really no such thing as a consolation prize when it comes to Travis Kelsey in this market at 15 to 1, little bit longer odds. I mean, Travis Kelsey would have won MVP possibly of the game against the Buffalo Bills, 13 catches, 118 yards, and two touchdowns, three total touchdowns in this postseason. Last year in the Super Bowl, got into the end zone. I, I mean, you want to, it's a little bit minus money, but I want to get a fuck. I mean, Travis Kelsey's going to score a touchdown in this football game. About minus 160, it's going to happen. You want a big shot there, Kelsey to win MVP? I think we could have the market cornered, Mike. I like Kelsey in a 15 to 1. Yeah, that's a good pick as well. And for my last pick here, I'm going to go to the winning margin here. I like that prop here because I feel strong that Chiefs are going to win the football game. And you're getting, and the spread is not tremendous value there, but you have two options. You have the one to six spread, I think plus 330 on FanDuel, and seven to 12 point spread plus seven, plus 490 on FanDuel. And those are the ones you feel like, okay, the Chiefs are going to do well in this game, end up winning by a touchdown. You get a nice payout there. I'm going to take the winning margin for the Chiefs as my last prop bet. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm 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 on the Chiefs as well, Mike. So uh, I think it's a good call. All right, so those are some good prop bets we had here, and those are the ones on the game related stuff. In terms of the non game related stuff, what are some ones that you think are just fun? Oh, look, there there's so many wacky props out there, man. Um, I had a buddy last year who told me he was betting an over-under on J-Lo outfit changes <laughs> when she was doing the halftime show. And he sent me a video. He was, with, he was with people, and they were going nuts, screaming, that's three, that's three, because she had changed the outfit for the third time. I'll tell you the one, I can't believe it has a betting trend, but I'll give him credit. Uh, one of my favorite uh, colleagues from Sports Grid, Gabe Morenci, uh, always talks about this. Uh, I believe Tails. It's yeah. six and one in the last seven Super Bowls. And last year he was on tails and he was screaming. He's like, let's go. He's very open about how much he bets. He goes, let's go. I'm already up $200 and nobody's even touched <laughs> the football yet. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was so jazzed up. I have like this like scary feeling about it because it's like, man, can it really hit that many times in a row? But you got to think, Mike, how many people been betting heads year in and year out thinking to themselves, oh, it can't come up tails again. So I would be uh, eerie of the coin toss market. It keeps finding its way to tails. Yeah, tails never fails. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I guess that's why uh, I guess that's why the saying is the saying. Mike, if you'll allow me, if you have if you have a moment here, I want I wanted to quickly leave you with a stat. Sure. Because I heard you say you're on the Chiefs, and I'm sure you're going to be talking to a ton of people about this game, and they're going to give you their picks and analysis. And 
I think there's a pretty good chance there are some people that tell you, oh, the Chiefs have flipped the switch. The Chiefs have flipped the switch. I tend to think that's not the case. The Kansas City Chiefs this year, Mike, have played seven games versus a team that has an above 500 record. Seven games versus a team that has an above 500 record. Guess how many of those games they have held a fourth quarter lead of double digits or better? I'm going to say one. Every single one of them. Wow. Every single one of those games, they were up double digits in the fourth quarter. They've been getting backdoored. The game's been over. They've been running the clock out. The Bucks backdoored them. That's how they covered. The Dolphins backdoored them. Like, th- that's what I think people, when they come here to the window on the Tampa Bay Bucks, you're batting the back door. That's what they did the first go around. That's what they're going to be looking to do the next go around. The Chiefs have punted once with Patrick Mahomes leading the offense. It was the first drive of the game against the Buffalo Bills, and it was because Tyreek Hill dropped a 40-yard pass that would have put them in scoring territory. The team hasn't flipped the switch. They've been the best team all year long, and they've been backdoored a couple of times. Okay, so what? They're on a mission, and they're the absolute best in the world. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. Let me give you some of my fun props here. I want to get your take on some of these, see what you think. I think some of these are going to end up being funny. Obviously, I'm going to be on the Gatorade color. I'm betting the red. I feel like both teams have a red Gatorade. That's one. I like that. It's a good call. That feels like a good – I'll tell you, though, there was a big move last year. Like, it got out purple Gatorade. It got out. There was this crazy move to purple Gatorade. It was a big talk in the betting community. So watch. I like your early position on red, but there's going to be some weird movement that'll happen, uh, you know, around mid next week. Somebody heard something that it's yellow. Don't be scared to follow the move. Yeah, that's going to be fun. That's one I like. In terms of the people getting shown, like think how many times does Giselle is shown on the screen? It'll be funny. I think that'll be hilarious to watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, one of my favorites, uh, just from a, like a playoff game. There was a playoff game, I think, once the Texans played in, yeah. and J.J. Watt wasn't healthy. And people on Twitter were like, you think they'll show him after every play? And, I mean, it literally felt like they showed J.J. Watt after every single play. So it's, it's always funny when they key in on someone. I definitely think you could see Giselle plenty uh, with Tom Brady because either it, it could be going great or they'll start bringing her up saying that Giselle would love for Tom to retire. Hey, do you think this will be Tom's last game ever? And they'll say that positively or negatively. Yeah, I also like the cross-sport bets. I know you're a big NBA guy. How about Knicks threes on February 7th versus the number of carries Clyde Edwards-Hilaire gets? I think these are some of the coolest bets in the world, man. Yeah. I, I really, really do. I mean, you're going to have to break it down day of. You're going to have to get your, your ins and outs. But it is, it is – and that's the thing about the Super Bowl, man. As, as much as, I, you know, people are like, oh, you don't just show up to bet the Super Bowl. It's a grind year in, year out. Man, people show up to bet the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl, right? And you want to get creative with it because you said it earlier here when we were talking, like, these lines are sharp. These guys know what they're doing. They've been doing it all year long. They've been making money all year long. So you want to get creative. So, yeah, Nick's making more threes than CEH carries. Sure, get after it. Texas Tech second half points versus Kansas City Chiefs total points. Have a blast. I think stuff like this is always incredible. 
Yeah, I have another fun one. I think you'll get a laugh out of this one because you have to wait until May to pay out on this, but I think it's actually pretty funny. This is oh boy. the Travis Kelsey catches in the Super Bowl versus the number of the winning horse, the Kentucky Derby. You know, I'm not <laughs> mad at that, though. I actually I actually love that yeah. because you're automatically in the Kentucky Derby now. Yeah. You no matter no matter how many catches he has, you walk into the Kentucky Derby with a position. I think that's a treat. I think it's a great call, Mike. I love that bet because like you know the Derby's like twenty horse fields usually and like if he has seven catches, you have like a third and you take the horses, you have a twenty percent sixty five percent chance of winning that bet. Yeah. I love it. I think I think it's a I think it's a great call. Yeah, I think it's a great call. It won't get a lot of play because people are not gonna want to wait until May to get their payout, but I think it's a great value. Yeah, you just stick a little, you stick a little, little, little something, something to the side. Don't go crazy on it, but it gives you a little position riding in the Kentucky Derby. What more could you ask? Yeah, drop a yeah, drop a twenty on it. That's the way I would do it. Yeah, I th- I think it's a good call. All right, Kevin, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'm people follow social media and keep up what you're doing over at Sports Grid. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at the Kevin Walsh uh, on Sports Grid uh, mornings Monday through Friday, seven a.m. East Coast time till 9 a.m. doing the early line. Uh, and then at night from uh, 9 p.m. to midnight, uh, Monday through Thursday, in-game live, plus some weekend work as well over on Sports Grid. Uh, make sure you check us out over there. Doing a lot of great stuff. I'm going to have you covered wire-to-wire on the Super Bowl. I'll be part of in-game live, the Super Bowl coverage uh, there. So make sure everybody check it out. Yeah, it will be a lot of fun, Kev. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, Mike. Always a blast, man. Be good. Right, we are back here on the podcast talking about WandaVision from Marvel Studios. Just heard their fabulous intro on the podcast. Join me today, our pop culture correspondent, Sam DeRosa. Sam, welcome back. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm super excited for this segment. <laughs> yeah, first time we've talked since the holidays, the year in review for pop culture. We talked about WandaVision, something we're looking forward to. I, did, I have to say, I was not expecting it to be as good as it has been so far. Same. I'm actually blown away. Like, I'm very interested in the show and I'm very excited of how it's portrayed and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, as of recording here, we've had three episodes drop. They did the two part premiere and they had the episode last week. It sort of changed everything. And I said, you know what? I've heard episode three is crazy. Let's wait till after episode three to talk about it. I think we made the right call. I think you did too. I like, I just wanted to get into it, but I'm glad you said like told me to pump the brakes and to like wait till after the third episode yeah so we'll get a little general talk here we're gonna get into the big spoilers and the theories and there's a lot of them going on especially getting some answers this week which is gonna be some fun we're not gonna cover this on the weekly like we did mandalorian because this is just a little too strange to try to keep track of everything but we'll do some check-ins here and there probably not the finale sam i'll be back to talk about this again but i think the thing i like the most about this show is just you know it's so weird. It's not the traditional Marvel, oh, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy, villain fight, blah, blah. We've had three episodes. We've not had any big fights. We've had weird mute stuff. We had sitcom reviews. A lot of interesting different directions they've gone. 
Yeah, and then uh, it's just nice, like somebody who grew up watching TV land, and I know that sounds like stupid coming out of my mouth as I'm dating myself, but um, it's nice to like have like the nuances of the older sitcoms coming in because like this isn't a sitcom you know what I mean like you know it's not a sitcom it's like more of a drama it's mysterious and everything but they're going off the like the face of you know the comedies from like the 50s 60s to tell the story which is an interesting way I feel like to show the plot line yeah, I mean, they really dive full into the sitcom motifs. I mean, they had the black and white footage of the first two episodes. Episode one supposedly was filmed in front of this live studio audience, which is actually pretty cool because they filmed this pre-COVID, so it was actually safe to have audiences in the in there, in the filming area. So they got that done. And you had trees of shows, like you had your Bewitch, you had Dick Van Dyke tributes. And then I thought it was pretty cool to see the Marvel spin. I'm like, what would Marvel TV have looked like in the 1950s? And then this kind of gives you a look at that. Exactly. I, it's just, I don't know. I just... I don't know. I just something I wasn't expecting this. Like I'm still blown away about yeah. how they did everything. I'm sure you guys could go back and listen to me bash the show. I was very concerned, very hesitant. But here I am, just like, you know, giving like four gold stars right now to this show as of episode three. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I know you said you had skeptical issues with it. I had issues with it too, because like this is one of those things where when they announce the show and they say the title is WandaVision. It's about Wanda and the and Vision. You're like, do we really need this? Is this something that we were asking for as an audience as a show just about Scarlet Witch and Vision? And it turns out, yes, we did need this show. Exactly. Um, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm very curious to see where it's going to go because of everything that's happened in this past third episode. Um, but I liked, I heard a story that they said that, uh, to Elizabeth Olsen that she'll never have to wear any of like the comic versions of um, the Scarlet Witch, like, you know, what she wore in the comics. But funny enough, I think they pay tribute to like, you know, her, you know, character from the comics in the next coming episodes. I just wanted to like point that out because I think it's hilarious. It's a little contradicting, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, Marvel does do that from time to time. Remember the Netflix Jessica Jones series? They had fun with that where they showed, they had like Jessica Jones. I think, uh, who was the, I forget who her best friend was. Uh, they, they they were superheroes in the comics. They had them wear like the costumes for like a second on the show. They're like, nah, we can't wear this. Like, I think that's always fun when they do that. Oh my God. I guess you're right. I They tell you not, they tell you no, and then they surprise you with the just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. And let's, I think there's too much spoiler territory here. Not getting into it. So I'm going to put the spoiler warning up. Mm. All right. You've been, you've been warned. If you have not finished the first three episodes of WandaVision, get the hell out. Go watch the show. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled to bits about what's going on in this episode, these episodes. And I have to say, this was not the direction I thought we were going in here because I thought, they gave you a form, you're like, oh, like, you know, sitcoms, we're going to pay tribute here, 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 where you start wondering, like, you realize it's not that simple. There's stuff going on in the background. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. There's so many hidden meanings, so many characters. Like, you just never know what's going on. You can't take anything at face value. Yeah. You- it's just really interesting, like, how they do, like, the music, the cues to, like, the dialogue, and it's absolutely insane. It really is, and... I might, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but I mean, the big moment from episode three, like that basically sets us up for, we don't know where we're going here beyond this is we have episode three, Wanda ends up having babies because she gets pregnant episode two, 
over the course of one episode, she managed to give birth to the twins, who are comic significant characters, which we'll get to later. But she ends up meeting her friend Geraldine, who, again, spoiler alert, I know this has not been on the show yet, but they've announced it in pretty much every form of, like, public media about this. This is something that's out there, so, I mean, if you, you look on the internet, you'll find it. The Geraldine is actually Monica Rambeau, who is the daughter of Maria Rambeau, uh, Captain Marvel's friend from the Captain Marvel movie. So we find out that she figures out real quick that she's not Geraldine and that she's an agent of S.W.O.R.D. You see the little S.W.O.R.D. logo on her thing and throws her basically out. She gets thrown out of the Wanda world, which is called Westview. We find out it's a real town. We had the brilliant one with the aspect ratio flips from the horizontal logo to the vertical to the vertical lines of like the current timeline. And we see that this is sort of like an illusionary town that she, somehow Wanda is either running a vision or running a thing in her mind for this, controlling the town. It's really odd. I was like, took I caught me by surprise when we found that out so quick. Yeah, I mean, you know, like third episode, you would think that you would want to keep the like mystery, I guess. Um, but I remember the first or this, the first, so like not this past week, the week before, uh, they were like, oh no, that's like Maria's daughter. I'm like, no way. And then they came out mentioning that that definitely was her. Um, but it's awesome because you can see like when she gets thrown from Wanda's little like universe, I guess, within our own earth, you know, you could see like the, the force field. Yeah. from the shows and stuff because i was just like oh maybe it's just all in her head but it's actually like it's wanda's creation and she is able to like control everything in there because it's like actually her you know it's yeah. not just like she's like in a coma or in like you know the matrix basically in yeah. that like weird sack thing yeah there's definitely a theory going out there that the key is wanda is the key to everything because it's not even visions thing because like We've seen Wanda at points, like, notice things that are odd, like the stork in episode three, like, showing up, like, when she's trying to get birth to the kids, and we saw, like, the beekeeper with the sword logo in episode two. We saw, like, the random color planes show up and stuff like that, and, like, she's constantly said, like, times, like, broken the portal, like, no, and then ch- rewinds time and stuff like that. So Wanda is in some kind of control here, which I think is interesting. Yeah, definitely, because you would think that maybe she's just held captive, by somebody else put in this trance or whatever, but she's like, and I'll be all in charge of every decision that she makes. Yeah. We did not see what the final exchange was because the whole thing that broke the Geraldine thing was when Geraldine references Pietro dying in age of Ultron, which great job by Disney plus by the way, to try and direct you to age of Ultron after this episode ended when you're playing next. I thought that was a good call by them, but yeah, that was a good job there. And and that's the point. We don't see what happens next. Also, you see Monica flying out of the Westview simulation. And I think it's pretty clear that Wanda has a lot more say what's going on than what is we've seen to, so far. I'm curious if we get that perspective next week of what the rest of that conversation looked like. Yeah. And then it's just really cool because if you look, it's like the 70s sitcom, like, you know, music. Yep. And then it goes to like the classic, like Marvel orchestra. Yeah. I just thought that was like such a cool little you know, little token of editing going on. Yeah. Also, it was interesting that the end of episode one, something that people may not have noticed they were looking away quickly, is that the events of the WandaVision show were sort of playing out like on a screen. It looked like a military base, and we saw the military base episode three. So, like, it's one of those things that also, you also have the questions, like, 
is the military doing an experiment on Wanda and she created all of this? Or is like she fighting the military and she's hiding in this sort of space and she's taking over this town where people are really living? And that's really, really fascinating to watch how that plays out. Yeah, and she, there's just like so much mystery. Like every single, it's kind of like a horror thriller show in a comedy, which is like really interesting. Yeah, it's really fun. And I do think the thing I'm also curious about is like the role of what exactly Vision is. Because all the Marvel fans know Vision is dead. He got murdered twice in eight in uh, Avengers Infinity War because Wanda kills him once, then Thanos turns back time, kills him again to get the Infinity Stone out of his head. Yet he's yeah. here alive and well. So what do you think is going on with Vision? Ugh. Well, you know, like you want to live in your like best moment and it's a it's a, like a coping mechanism. Yeah. So it has it has to be her way to like cope with her trauma and her loss, especially having to lose vision twice. It's yep. like extra bad. So that's my idea of why she has him there. Cause the stone doesn't serve, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, you know, I just feel bad. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so you think he's more of a coping mechanism because like she's been through so much trauma over the past, like, and she was also the one who got dusted at the end of infinity war and came back to life in Endgame. So, you think maybe yeah. it's sort of like her trying to like get come to grips with her rea new reality and she's using vision as a crutch. Exactly. And then that also like he's the one who points out certain things. He's the one that fixed things. Yeah. She's like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And he's like, you know, like he's like she's in the first episode at the dinner party. She's like, you know, help him. Yeah. But she's the one that's giving him the instruction or anytime there's something wrong with the beekeeper, like you said before, yeah. she rewinds it. If she's like if he says something that she doesn't like she rewinds it just for her coping like yep. she's like making herself in her own little bubble stay safe and like you know comforted yeah i also feel like to me i do think we're not getting actual vision back i still think he's still dead but i think this is more of like a uh i want to say like he's sort of a manifestation of her conscience in a sense where maybe like this is the part of one says you should not be doing this and like Especially the times when he starts to figure, like you said, when he starts to figure things out, she rewinds and sort of is like, no, 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 I'm not ready to deal with this yet. That's one thing I think with Vision is also interesting. And maybe he's the key getting her out of her own head a little bit because sort of, he's sort of the moral center of Wanda where Wanda is sort of like spiraling right now. Yeah, I, I definitely think that he'll be the, she'll, you know, until she can let him go, she can come out of this trance, this medicated state, whatever she's in for her to create her own little world. Yeah, I think she is in her own little world, and I do have a lot of interesting, like, things going on, especially with the reveal of the sword logo last week. I mean, we saw, as Marvel fans, we saw the sword reveal at the end of the post-credit scene from Spider-Man Far From Home, when we found Nick Fury's up in space getting the sword thing going, and now they're here operating on Earth. So I think it's pretty cool if we have this tie-in directly. I know Feige has said that this is not like required reading where, oh, like, you have to watch this show, and he said he's not a big fan of that, but... It's nice enriching material the next time you see like a movie where swords involved. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an in, like uh, an important part of Marvel to show to like you know the mainstream basically. Yeah, yeah, because I mean we know we have sword stuff coming, and the thing the other characters we got introduced to so far, Wanda's twins. I know in the comic books that they are end up becoming heroes in their own right. So considering how fast the show skips through time, it's interesting to see these twins sort of growing up as we go through like the next couple episodes. Yeah. I mean, we saw in the, the trailer, them running around being, you know, forces of nature, basically. Yep. 
yeah, they're definitely going to be a factor in this. I also think that in terms of the show itself, I think that the thing I'm curious about is like, at what point do we sort of get Wanda's break where she realizes I did this. I need to stop this. Especially when you see characters in the show are like afraid of her, like Agnes last episode when she was talking to the neighbor, she like, she's terrified of Wanda and like, we see the doctor too. He's like, I can't leave when he was supposed to go on vacation. And like, it, you basically see that he can't leave and she's not letting anybody leave unless she makes them leave. Like she did to, did to Monica Rambo. So I think that's definitely a fun element to track here. She's sort of holding all the people in there with her. Yeah. And then it's not until like I know in the trailer as well, cause we haven't seen this yet and it could be totally different when visions like we have to help these people. So it's just like, you know, maybe that like, he'll be the voice of reason to get her out of this. Like, you know, like we were saying before, I don't know. And then they were also talking about Agnes in a different sense as well. Yeah. What do you think about Agnes? Like, I feel like she's been the breakout character of the show. I think she's a lot of fun when she's on the screen. Yeah. And then they were talking about her from the comics being somebody else who I don't want to spoil anything, but she might be this character who is kind of like, uh, like a villain in like the future. Yeah, I've seen theories that Ag- that Agnes is basically like a- another like witch character from the comics. So like mm-hmm. that would make some sense to me. There's theories I've seen where she's like one of the people who runs Sword. Maybe she got trapped in this space. She's trying to help Wanda get her way out of there. That'd be some- another interesting angle here. But like Catherine Hahn is phenomenal in this as this character. She is so fun. Yeah, she could play any decade and yeah. be totally like okay in whatever decade she ends up in. I also love the use of some of these great sitcom actors. Like in the first episode, we saw Vision's boss's wife is played by Deborah Jo Willer from that 70s show. Yes. Oh, my God. She's like my favorite. Yeah. I, I was so called like, oh, my God, they got Kitty for the show. Exactly. I yeah. thought this was like Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I forget which homage they were going for in the 50s episode, but there was the whole dinner party plot felt like such an I love Lucy episode, like in like basically in the making. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but like the like how they change from like funny to like serious, like the dramatic, like that sense. Yeah. Like I mean, it it says something for every of the actor's abilities. Yeah. Like, you know, Kitty Foreman, you know, yeah. going from that to this character being the boss's wife. Like it is just I don't know. It's just the way that they like transition it. Yeah. It's quick and it's fast, but it works so well. It's also pretty creepy too in some of those moments when you see, especially like in the first episode where like her husband is choking, she's just laughing, ha ha ha, stop it, ha ha ha, yeah. stop it, like over and over and over again. And then you're sitting yeah, there like, it goes from like hysterical to crying, and she's still like smiling, but she's crying because she's scared. Yeah, it's like it was that part got me. That's what that's ex- the exact part that got me hooked on the show. Yeah, that stuff is so great. And Elizabeth Olsen is just having so much fun. Because, like, she's getting to do so many different, like, sitcom tropes and, like, show her range as an actress. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and because she's, you know, for somebody who lives in the same realm as their twin sisters who were famous. Yeah. It's nice to see her break out. She's not just, you know, Mary Kate and Ashley's younger, younger sister. sister. Yeah. She's Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, she's her own. she's her own person here. And I do think we got a lot of fun characters so far. I do think, like... What was your favorite moment so far of the show? I do think I, I enjoyed the the talent show where Vision is drunk on the gum and then they're trying and Wanda's basically covering for him, trying to reveal his hiding his powers as he goes. I did like that part too. Um, the part where they're like going around, you know, like saying it's like a neighborhood watch meeting yeah. and just them like talking shit about each other kind of deal. I like yeah. 
but I know I said this before, like, I just finished saying this, but the, the dinner scene, you know, with like the whole, like, everything's going awry and not going right. And it's like all that to the, like the, her husband chokes. Yeah. I just think that that whole scene with uh, Deborah Joe is like the best. Yeah. I don't know. I think that was like the best part of the whole season so far. Yeah, that's been good. I also think the whole scene of like last week with Geraldine telling the story about her job while, while Wanda's trying to hide the stork from her was also so funny watching that. Oh, yeah, that was really funny. Or when she throws like with the orange or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It was so funny. I also thought it was typical, a good sitcom homage to the fact that like a lot of the sitcoms tend to like hide the actress's pregnancies that like having her hold a bowl of fruit above like in front of her chest and then like. Geraldine's like, oh, you got fruit. Thank you. And then she sits and tells the story. It's so funny. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of um, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. They did that all the time with purses. They always had purses in front of them. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like you can't say it or you can't add into the story. So you're just going to have to ignore it or like find a creative way to change it. Yeah, I, I remember, I forget yeah, what season the episode was in, but there was a season where like Allison Hagging was pregnant, but Lily was not pregnant on the show. And then... <laughs> They had a flashback of her eat, like doing an eating contest and they show her stand with her full pregnant belly. <laughs> After that, I'm yeah. like, that's just so clever. And she disappears because she's mad at Barney. Yeah. Uh, for telling a really bad, like mean joke. So yeah. she like disappears for a while. Yeah. That, yeah. Stuff like that is clever. I did like that. And the other thing I think is interesting that they, we not touched on yet is the in-show commercials where like between like act one and act two, we get like the Marvel product commercial. We had something from Stark Industries. We had a Hydra bar. We had or the other one was, but like, I know Feige said those commercials matter. So I'm interested to see what, what they end up meaning. Yeah. I mean, I think they're very well placed and they're very like for the times or whatever. Yeah. It's just like, you're burning your husband's toast, like get this toaster or whatever, yeah. like, you know, for the fifties and whatnot. It's like, I don't know. It's just really interesting. And they have like the different, different symbols uh, for like the Marvel universe for good versus evil or whatever. I was really excited when it was like Stark Industries. I'm like, oh my God, Iron Man, <laughs> like yeah. his dad invented that. Yeah. This is a Howard Stark original we're seeing on the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think also I'm excited to see where this goes. I feel like this show, you could. I feel like it's going to be such a unique experience watching it because they chose not to do the binge. They chose to do the one episode drop at a time. And this is going to be one where I feel like once we have the complete picture, you're not going to be able to go back and watch it the same way you did the first time. Oh, exactly. It's great that we were getting this, you know, like how we have the, we were able to do the podcast now because I feel like we're going to like look back on this and be like, wow, we're so dumb. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, how could you not see that? Yeah, there's going to be something that comes out. It's going to make everything we said in the past 20 minutes completely relevant. Totally, but it's totally worth our time. Totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's a definitely a good, worthwhile investment in time. We give you the full thumbs up here. Go watch WandaVision every Friday on Disney+. Plus. It comes out 3 a.m. if you happen to be up at, or, or like a crazy person. Otherwise, first thing in the morning, throw it on there. Oh, definitely. I have it with my morning coffee with my lovely um, Mandalorian mug, which you were so kind in getting me. And I had to throw it on the podcast this week. Yeah, it's on the video version on YouTube. You want to check that out. So that's going to oh, be definitely. On I forget that the people on the podcast cannot see. They can only hear. Yeah, Mike. So that's just a mistake at, you know, 945 in the yeah. evening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You want to check out the YouTube version of this video. That will be up there. But let's touch on like, a couple other quick items while you're here. 
there's been a news item of late that apparently Chris Evans is close to returning to the MCU, which I think is going to be interesting. And we have theories about this because, like, we have all sorts of time travel shenanigans. Spider-Man 3 is opening whole multiverse personalities here. So I think it'll be fun to see what they do with Chris Evans. Yeah, I mean, like, for somebody who's like, I'm done being Captain America. And he's like, just kidding. Offer me enough money and I'll be Captain America again. But we love him and we love him as Captain America. Yeah. What happened to Anthony Mackie? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. whatever. But it's fine. We love Chris Evans. I got two theories on this. It's just number one, he's either coming in the multiverse, he's going to show off another dimension as, it, as his Captain America, while Anthony Mackie can still be Captain America as Sam, as Sam Wilson. The other one is we sort of do like a, some sort of a time travel thing where we go back to see his life in the 70s with Peggy Carter. That's my other option. That'd be fun. I saw this ridiculous video about like time travel and whatnot. So if anybody's on TikTok, um, please uh, hit me up on whatever social medias that we will say later. But I will send you individually this TikTok that explains this like timeline of like, did Captain America actually be with Peggy? Because they can't interfere with the timeline of what they just went through. It, it's a mind blow. Like it just blow. It just blows my mind. Let's yeah, be real. Yeah, I've seen the graph form of this. It's very complicated. But apparently, it's like what the actions they take in Avengers Endgame created by four different time loops, and like he ends up on the fourth time loop when he's returning everything at the end of the movie. That's sort of the theory I saw. Is that what happened to TikTok video, basically? Yeah, basically, and they were like, is, like, you know, the Black Widow, Nat, like, Nat and him, did they just decide to, like, live a life together because he, like, in the long run has to save her from jumping off the cliff for Hawkeye? It's just this very convoluted 30 seconds video that just, like, has made my mind all, like, question everything right now. Yeah, another interesting nugget I want to get to in the Marvel Universe, apparently, like, the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Man is going to be a very crazy film, and, like, I know that, like, He's going to appear in the Spider-Man 3, so I feel in the Stark role was like the mentor here, but like Wanda's going to be in Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. It makes you wonder, considering what we're seeing in WandaVision here, do you think we're being set up for the fact maybe she's the villain of the movie and something has gone wrong with her? Maybe she's lost her mind. I mean, I can't. I feel like that has to be a theory because, you know what I mean? Like, I've you, you want to say no, it, it can't be the Red Witch or whatever, but Ugh. She could be. I feel like she might be the villain. Yeah. I feel like you're right because she's gone through so much grief, so much sadness, you know, like she's has all these guards up. She's picturing Vision living a whole life with her. So when she snaps out of it, she's just going to be angry. Yeah. Could be possible. Could be kind of like a, maybe a, their take on actually doing the Dark Phoenix story correctly with a different character. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be an interesting theory. That would be very interesting. Yeah, let's touch on two other things before I let you go. Because obviously, you and John Stanko have talked a lot about The Bachelor. Thumbs up, thumbs down this season. Ugh, thumbs sideways. It's just, it's so annoying. Like, for, you know, it's it's just so much drama. They added five girls last night. Today is the, for the January the 26th. So last night was they added five more girls to the show. And I'm just like, all right, whatever. I think the producers just love drama. Yeah, exactly. They're like, they're going off the deep end. Like they hit the tip of the iceberg with la like last season with Peter with what's her, what Victoria or whatever her yep. name was. Not, I can't remember her name. She was dating the country singer or whatever. And yeah. then they brought him in for the show, but like they hit that point and now it's just going downhill from now. I was also reading on the Twitter streets that Claire and Dale broke up also. So that was another like bomb from the bachelor universe. 
they did, but none of us are surprised. <laughs> you know what? That's 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 you. You know, we're yeah. not surprised. Claire's a little crazy. Um, if you want to again, like privately message me about a about a story I'm not supposed to know about, which I shouldn't be saying on air, but I'm going to anyway, about Claire seeing other people while she was the bachelorette. I have some secrets I'm not supposed to know about, but I do. That's a that's a blind item, folks. Yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna throw out there for a little, you know, little teaser. Yeah, a little teaser. If you want want the full scoop, you can you can you can find out from Sam off the air. We're not gonna get into it on the air. That's not responsible on our part. No, no, it's not. I'm not gonna start drama yeah. on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. Well, avoid the drama there. What else have you been watching and streaming of late? Oh my god. Um. Well, I because of our West Wing thing a couple of months ago. Yeah. We're watching the West Wing. Um, I watched Bridgerton. Yeah. Um, I watched the, the Night Stalker on Netflix. Um, I just feel like there's so many things and I just can't keep up, but those are the first ones that I can think of off the top of my head. How is Night Stalker? It's on my list right now. It was really well. I watched it in a day and a half. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's dark. It's a little gloomy, you know, yeah. cause it's killing, but I thought it was interestingly told. Okay. That's good to know. I think. In terms of what I'm going to throw out there, stuff that I'm watching, I will say I did check the chase out on ABC, the game show with the three Jeopardy guys. I mm-hmm. love it. It's so fun. Oh, I My brother watches that too, so now I'm going to have to like catch up. The best part of the show is like they do, and, and you know, have there's only one chaser at a time. There's three of them on the show. They solve the problem by putting like a camera in the room where the other two guys are sitting there watching the game play out and they'll cut in back to them. just like talking trash at the contestants or the chaser. It's so fun. That's great. I'm definitely, I have Hulu, so I'm pretty sure it's on there. Yeah. Most of the ABC stuff is on there. And like the stuff that's so funny is like just watching how great these guys are at the trivia is just phenomenal because like the episode that James holds is the chaser, like, he did not miss a question the entire episode and just wrecked the people he was playing against. It was so bad. That's insane. I wish I was that smart. Yeah. And like the, the theory at the end of the chase here is basically like you have a team of three people, you can win money. And then at the end you have to like build up like a question lead over like two minutes. You can work there as a team, answer a bunch of questions. Right. And then the chaser gets the same two minutes, try and get more right than you would take your money away. And they build like a four, like a 16 question lead on James. And like, he knocked them out in like a minute of that two minute time. Oh, uh, how is he so smart? James, I remember James whole lot of strategy. He basically says like, he reads a lot of children's books, actually children's education books. He said like, you get a lot of information in them because they don't give you all the extraneous facts. That's really smart. I've never heard that. Yeah, he said to just know a little about a lot. That's his strategy to winning in Jeopardy. That sounds like a great a great strategy. Yeah, I, I watched that. I did dip, dabble in Celebrity Wheel of Fortune as well. I do have – the contestants have fun with it, which is so funny because, like, apparently one episode, like, Terry Hatcher's just buying vowels every chance she could get. She was just laughing so hard about it. <laughs> That's great. I low-key hate Wheel of Fortune because I suck at it, at least Jeopardy. If I know if the category is like a kind of like, okay, when I know the category, but it's just like when it comes to like filling in words, I can't spell. So that's my issue. Yeah, that that one I watched and I'm I'm still trying to keep up with like get ready for like my toughest nails return on CBS. They should have gotten the post roll slot, but they did not. That was a bad choice on CBS's part. Mm, yes. If only you ran CBS, Mike. 
Yeah, well, I'm going to talk to that about Alan Austin on Pop Culture next week. We're going to talk about the history of the Super Bowl leadout program, and I'm going to give the spoiler warning here. <laughs> CBS is not going to do well in our ratings. You say that, I, but who knows? Maybe America is going to be in the favor of that show that I don't want to give the spoiler away to. Yeah, well, they're doing The Equalizer on CBS, a reboot of the movie. It was based off a 70s TV show. They've done two movies, and then they rebooted it with Queen Latifah as the main character, which the trailer's not bad, but I don't think it's a good thematic choice for a post Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong, so... But maybe, maybe we're both wrong. Maybe we're both like so wrong. We'll sit here on our wrongness and next week yeah. or two weeks. Yeah, well, in two weeks, we, when we talk about, you'll have a couple weeks, we're going to do our annual tradition of post Super Bowl commercial halftime recap here on the podcast. And we will talk, by then we should have the ratings for the equalizer and we'll see if it did well. <laughs> That's true. We yeah. will see. All right, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be following social media. They want to keep up with some of the stuff you're up to. Um, on Twitter at S uh, D E R O S uh, six. Cause I always get it wrong. And if I get it wrong, I'll, there fi- it is. I'll, I'll, fix, I'll fix it in post. If it's wrong. I was going to say, <laughs> I don't deserve to follow yeah. whatever. Uh, but you can always follow me on Instagram at S DeRosa one seven five. Just Google Sam DeRosa. I'm not the famous singer. Uh, so I'll probably just be on their feed somewhere. <laughs> all right, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about WandaVision. All right. That will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guests. John Jaskremski, the great JJ on WFAN, talking about the NFC AFC Championship games, getting ready for Super Bowl 55. I also want to thank Kevin Walsh for taking a deep dive into the world of the sports betting, the Super Bowl betting, having some fun with the prop bets. And I want to thank our pop culture correspondent, Sam DeRosa, for diving into the world of WandaVision. It's a fun show. I highly recommend you check it out. Three episodes in the books coming out Fridays on Disney+. Plus. Recommend checking it out there. You want to go stuff like this podcast, including my look on why, you know what? It's okay, Matt fans, you did not get George Springer. You will live. You will live. Find out why over the blog, justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings as well. They help make this podcast even better going forward. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. You can check out my YouTube channel as well, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can find all the individual conversations in the episodes there. My chats with JJ, Kevin, and Sam will all be on the YouTube feed in just a bit. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to get further into Super Bowl. We're going to do a full Super Bowl preview on the podcast, Super Bowl picks, and more. Until we hope you have a better week than the Packers fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.